Grace and peace from God our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Our text for our sermon is 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 26 through 31, which I will be reading in order throughout the sermon. God demands too much. That's what you could expect the typical Old Testament believer slash unbeliever in reality to accuse God of. All those ceremonial laws of cleanliness, you blink the wrong way and you're unclean. Now you got to go back up to the temple and I don't live in Jerusalem and I got to bring the sec. It's too much. God demands too much. I started worshiping the false god of rain, so God withheld the rain, and now i got to sit here and wait, and he gets mad because I turn around and worship the god of rain more, the false god. He demands too much. You know how we do that today? We don't just say God demands too much, asking us to draw to his life-saving word so he can keep us alive in him regularly. We say God is unfair. God's unfair. How dare he die for the sins of the world and then turn around and damn anybody who rejects the salvation he won for them. But brothers and sisters in Christ, whether we're saying God demands too much or we're just saying God's unfair, we're actually elevating ourselves above God, telling God how to be God. And that is one of the many ways we inflate our ego. God addresses that in Micah chapter 6, verse 8, our first lesson when he says, What does the Lord require from you but to carry out justice and love mercy and walk in humility with your God? When you recognize God is God and you're not, and I love his grace and mercy, it changes everything. Now, the Corinthians recognized that, but they also were guilty of a lack of humbleness. They had begun to boast and boast in a lot of things. We heard last week how they boasted in the messengers, the gifts God had given to them, instead of the message they had to proclaim. And when you get to 1 Corinthians chapter 5, you find out there's a guy who's boasting in the forgiveness and the freedom God has given him from the law, boasting so much that he's boasting that he's having sexual intercourse with his stepmother. Oh, yes. And they're boasting in spiritual gifts as well. I don't know how Christians can do this today after the Apostle Paul addresses that in the epistle to the Corinthians. But the big gift, if you, really, if you had this, you really stood out. They had their top favorites like prophecy. But, oh, if you spoke in tongues, not just learning another language, but spiritually by the Holy Spirit. Paul has to deal with a lot of their boasting and he's building up to that. But they've already been bragging in the messenger over the message itself. And so in verse 25, he says, We preach Christ crucified because the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. All of today's text is just expanding on that. And in our sermon theme today, we see we boast in the glory of God. If we're going to boast, we we boast to God's glory and we boast for God's glory. So, brothers and sisters in Christ, he immediately applies verse 25 to the Corinthians. In verse 26, he says, In fact, brothers, take a look at your calling. In fact, it's very interesting. There he says the plural you guys is and then individual calling. The church as a whole, but then each individual person who makes up the congregation of Corinth, each one of their calling, their calling to faith, their calling to be members of that visible congregation. He says that not many were wise according to the flesh. Not many were powerful, not many were born of high status. Brothers and sisters in Christ, do you know who the average person was in the city of Corinth at the time this epistle was written? They were a slave. They had no rights. They were viewed merely as property. 
In fact, that's exactly what the Roman highfalutin people began to call Christianity, the religion of the slaves. It wasn't the high college professors and and the doctors and the lawyers who were Christians. Oh, wait, Luke was a doctor. Paul was a rabbi. Notice here he says not many. He doesn't say not any, but not many. There were the ones who were in high positions in the world's place. But his point is, God called slaves and low class. The bulk of the Christians were what the world considered foolish, weak, and just lower class. Paul continues in verse 27, But God chose for himself the foolish things of the world, so that he keeps on putting to shame those who are wise. God chose for himself the weak things of the world, so that he keeps on putting to shame the things that are powerful. God chose for himself the low-born things of the world, and the things that are considered as nothing, specifically the things that are not, so that he keeps on nullifying the things that are. He chose this in order that all flesh cannot boast in itself before God. What does the world consider wise brothers and sisters in Christ? Aristotle, the great philosopher Socrates, Plato. The world's wisdom does not work the way God's wisdom works. The world's wisdom does not see God becoming a man and actually allowing himself to be manhandled and placed on a cross. And how does the world's power work, brothers and sisters in Christ? I grew up and spent my childhood in the Cold War era. Russia had nukes and we had nukes and that's power. Smaller nations today, they want nuclear weapons because that's power. And yet, do you know what kept us from launching a nuclear missile to Russia and putting an end to the Cold War? The fact that they would launch every nuclear missile they had back at us and then we would launch every nuclear missile we had back at them. A mutually assured destruction. That's the world's use of power and that's how the world gets peace. And so they don't see God's power as He hangs on the cross. They mock Him and say, He saved others. Let's see Him save Himself. Come on off of that cross. Come on down. But he used his godly power to stay on that cross to atone for your sins and remove them. The world sees that as weakness. That's God's grace and it shames the world's power. The Greek word literally used is he used the lower class things of the world, the lower born. Brothers and sisters in Christ, how often do we see that where even in in, in the Hollywood elites, as we call them, in the media elites and the political elites, yes, even in America where we don't have kings and queens, we kind of have our political dynasties as well, looking down on Christians. They describe them like a bunch of inbred hillbilly hicks, don't they? And yes. Praise the Lord, he even calls inbred hillbilly hicks to know his eternal salvation. Isn't it amazing how they look down at Christians as being dumb and powerless and weak and lower class? But what does Paul say? He chose all that to shame the things. And he says the things that are not, the things that are not a priority of the world, the things that are non-existent. You know what doesn't exist in the world's religions? That God does 100% of the work of your salvation. And even though you don't deserve it, freely gives it to you. Yes, God chose the things that are weak, powerless, foolish, lower class, that don't even exist, to shame the things that are wise, powerful. 
that do exist. Not the priorities of this world. And as a side note, I often laugh so often when Hollywood or the media and stuff start condemning Christians under their stereotypes. And you find out these people don't have their act together. They open up to condemn things and they show they have no clue how the world operates. Oftentimes their own folly is shown by the world's logic as well. But ultimately, brothers and sisters in Christ, whether you're highly educated like that guy named Saul or whether you're a simple fisherman like Andrew, Peter, James, and John, God calls you by what the world considers foolish. He doesn't work by this world's ways. He chooses the foolish, the weak, the non-existent, the lower class to shame the wise, the strong, the higher class, the things that exist. But it's His grace, brothers and sisters in Christ. The world's wisdom is not God's wisdom, but you are wise in Christ as a three-year-old child is wise in Christ because they know that they are Jesus' little lamb and that God created this world for them to bring them to and keep them in their eternal salvation. So boast in, to, and for the glory of God because He chose the foolish, the weak, the lower class things to shame the wise, the powerful, and the higher class and the things that exist. Now, our text verses crescendo to verse 29 and decrescendo from there. Verse 29 says, He chose this in order that all flesh cannot boast in itself before God. And then he says in verse 30, and you've often heard me say from this pulpit, we have to pay attention to the Greek prepositions. They don't translate well into English. So we translate the Greek preposition ek with because. Now, because of him, you yourselves are in Christ Jesus. But really the Greek preposition, it's to go from being inside something to the outside of something. So after church, you'll come from being inside church to outside the parking lot. Literally, we say now from him, from the inside of him, from the internal workings of God to what's outside of him, you and I, we are now in Christ. That rules out any of our own boasting. It rules out any works you and I do. Believe me, our gospel lesson is the, is the Beatitudes. That is preached to people who are believers, but we often think Jesus is saying, first you be poor in spirit, and then you'll get the kingdom of God. No, 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 no. It's because God has made you this way, you have your evidence that you are blessed, that you are in the kingdom of God. We turn around and we say, you must make your decision for Christ. That is something you do, not something that's inside of God. So we excuse that away and we say, well, God looked ahead and he saw that you would resist the faith a little less, so he predestined you to be saved. Once again, that would be something you do. This is completely inside of God to you so that you are engrafted to Christ Jesus, the mysterious union of all believers, a branch to the vine. 100% God, and that's comforting, brothers and sisters in Christ. I can't boast in myself. Look at me, this rotten sinner who can't go a minute without thinking something sinful, elevating myself above God, wanting to tell Him how to be God. Oh, but God made me His little lamb, as He did with you, by engrafting us onto Christ. You are literally in Christ. You're encompassed and engrafted to Him. And we're told exactly why he does that. He said of Jesus there, who became for us wisdom out of God. Now here's the opposite Greek preposition, apo, from the outside to the outside. God, Jesus, Jesus comes from, from God's right hand at his ruling throne, becomes a human so that he can be wisdom for you. 
In last week's sermon, I had mentioned out of 1 Corinthians there uh, that when we are united in Christ, we have the same way of thinking and the same outcome of thinking. And I said, that doesn't mean we're mindless robots. We now have God's wisdom. Instead of the world's bitterness and its revenge and its self-seeking, we now have the wisdom of God that makes us interpret things, at least by our new man that's engrafted to Christ, by God's grace, by God's mercy. We look at things by Christ's birth, His living in our place, His going to that cross, His being on that cross, His being off the cross, His empty tomb, His resurrection, and His ruling over all creation for you and I. Now, when we think that way, we have God's wisdom. Christ became God's wisdom. You're engrafted to Him. The sap of it flows through you so that your new man thinks in terms of forgiveness and grace. We're told, and righteousness. I've already mentioned how sinful we are. If we're to look to our own righteousness, we are going to hell, brothers and sisters in Christ. But because of God has engrafted you to Christ Jesus, His sap flows through you. Your new man, while you still have a sinful nature, is righteous. When God looks at you, He sees you engrafted to Christ. He sees Christ's righteousness and you are saved. We're told, and holiness. We often translate that word sanctification. This is in the way in which we let God's holiness that we're engrafted to, God's righteousness shine. We call it good works, brothers and sisters in Christ. And again, we don't do good works in order to be saved. When you are in Christ, you're engrafted to Him. His sap flows through you and you grow the fruits of faith. Good works. The law that sits there and tells you, there's your sin, there's your sin. Now it says, look. You're listening to the Word of God. You're being fed by it. It shows you your good works. And that is Christ flowing through you because His Holy Spirit has engrafted you to Him. And then we're told, the Greek word is, and release through redemption. Christ became your release through redemption. Now, the big time this happens, obviously, is when he lives his roughly 33 years of life perfectly for you, never succumbing to temptation, never sinning, so that he could credit you with his righteousness. It includes his dying on the cross to remove your sin. It includes his resurrection, his ascension. But there's more brothers and sisters in Christ. See, you and I, as I've already mentioned, we still have that sinful nature right now. The release through redemption is... When you die, God is going to rip that sinful nature away from you and you'll go to be before the throne of God. You will never have to struggle with that again. You'll never have to deal with pain and sorrow. He's going to return. The last generation, when he returns, is going to get to skip the death part. And he's going to give us a new heavens and a new earth. Literally, one and the same will be before the throne of God. No more consequences of sin. No sorrow, no pain, no disease. We're going to be released through all of that because Christ has redeemed us. We will receive a glorified body that will never ache. We'll never cry at the death of a loved one because all that will be gone. Released through redemption. And Paul tells us in verse 31, God did this just so that just as it has been written, let the one who keeps on boasting for himself start and never stop boasting in the Lord. Do you have natural gifts? I see your natural gifts that you use to serve to God's glory here, but God gave you those natural gifts and we're thankful that you use them. Do you have spiritual gifts? 
We can't be like the Corinthians and say, look it, I'm more spiritually gifted than you. No, no, no. God has given you those to His glory. And His glory is seen the most when we cling to Him and show others that we're clinging to Him for our eternal salvation. Boast into and for the glory of God because He is your wisdom. He's your salvation. He's your righteousness. He's your sanctification. He's your redemption through release from that slavery. Jesus wraps all this up on the Sermon on the Mount, brothers and sisters in Christ, in chapter 5, verse 3. I told you he's talking to Christians here when he says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, because theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Being poor in spirit recognizes when we come to God for everything that matters, for the clothes on our back, for the, for the shelter over our head, for the car we drive, for the health to earn those things, for the retirement accounts that provide those things when our health deteriorates, for our eternal salvation. We come to Him as beggars. All we can do is say, Lord, have mercy. But when you recognize that and you know to come to the Lord for mercy, you're already in His kingdom. He's already given you His mercy. He's engrafted you onto Christ and you are eternally alive in Him. And so, brothers and sisters in Christ, boast in the glory of God, boast to the glory of God, boast for the glory of God. He chose the foolish, the weak, the low class, the things that don't exist, to shame the wise, the powerful, the high class, the things that do exist. And brothers and sisters in Christ, He is our wisdom our salvation, our holiness, our release through redemption, our righteousness. Amen. Rejoice. Set things in order. Be encouraged. Agree with one another. And the God of love and peace will be with you. Amen.